Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, this is one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, with you with the big episode 64. And with me, as always, is Mr. Derek. Say hi, buddy. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. So we are going to be uh, kind of following up with our format from last week. We've got a random Memory Alpha article to discuss really quick. But we also are going to talk, obviously, Project Data List. The only major news out there, you know, Derek and I were just talking about this, is... Anson Mount and Rebecca Romaine not returning for season three, but like Derek pointed out, why does that surprise any of us? Yeah, I mean, they got to go back to the Enterprise at some point. Uh, it's kind of an important ship and they can only keep it in dry dock so long, I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, there's that and yeah, people love Anson Mount and I thought Rebecca Romaine looked great in the uniform, but we only saw her for like three minutes. So... You don't want you don't want those two characters to drown out the regular cast. Yeah, her character is still kind of confusing to me because they got a pretty high profile actor, um, and she seemed to be pretty spot on for the role. We still don't know her name, which I'm sure is on purpose. And so, if we don't get to see her again, that's kind of disappointing. Um, Mount is incredible as Pike. He really is. I'd, I'd love to see more of that, but Discovery isn't really the place for it. No, and I, I, I enjoy how people are saying, hey, why don't you do a five-year show with Captain Pike, a five-year mission of the Enterprise? I mean, you could. You got the timeline for it. But again, I, Anson Mount obviously loves being part of the Trek universe. He mm-hmm. talks about it. He shares about it on Twitter. But yeah, the whole Rebecca Remain thing, I mean, it's... I know it sounds whatever, but you cast a well-known actress who's also a very physically beautiful actress has a great screen presence, even all the way back to X-Men the movie. She had an amazing screen presence. You cast her as number one, you don't give her a name, and you don't put her on more episodes. I don't I don't understand that aside from the nostalgic value, but you could have you could have cast, you know, Aaron Eisenberg from Rom. You could have made him on something. Just if you want nostalgia. Yeah, it's it's kind of an odd choice. I, I mean, maybe this means that if, you know, they tested well with audiences, they would do a spinoff, even if it was a miniseries. You know, there have been talks of uh, Nicholas Meyer doing a miniseries um, about SETI Alpha, SETI Alpha 5, you know, and, and Khan and all of that. You know, you could do a Pike miniseries, do, 
you know, one year of the five year mission or do one, you know, maybe a six episode arc or something like that of a story. It doesn't have to be um, a full show necessarily. Now that, you know, we, with the streaming technology, we can do these limited run type series if we want to. Yeah. And you and I have used it as an example, um, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Everybody remembers the TV show, but it didn't start off as a TV show. It started off as a, an exclusive miniseries on the sci-fi channel. Mm-hmm. Then the miniseries was so well received that they're like, holy crap, we can make a television show on this. And they did. And they went from a three episode, like through what, three and a half hour miniseries and turned it into something. They could they could do something similar with Pike and Rebecca Romaine. I agree. I, I can't. Agree. You know, I, even though he constantly refers to his number one, I'm only going to use it so often. It's Rebecca Romaine right now. She needs a name, guys. She needs a name. She deserves a name. She deserves yeah. a name by now. Anyway, um, yeah, so, okay, so for people who did not listen last week or maybe don't remember, we did start a new segment where we're going to do a random article from Memory Alpha every week. And uh, Memory Alpha, of course, is the canon wiki for Star Trek. And um, there's a link that they actually have. It's for a random, random article. So I clicked that this week and got Calto Province. Which, if uh, you don't quite remember what that is, we can give you a little history lesson. But uh, it's actually a region from a planet uh, where the uh, Caltons live that Captain Janeway and Tom Paris pretended to be from while they were on an away mission trying not to break the Prime Directive. Um, It's from Voyager's fourth episode, Time and Again. And Greg, you could probably even speak to this a little bit better because I love Voyager so much, but you just started rewatching it. I have started my rewatch, and what's surprising to me is just how easy Voyager kind of is to watch. I don't remember that when I first, you know, I've watched all the series multiple times, but this is fresh. I mean, I just got to season two, and the something I do remember loving about Voyager in this episode's perfect is the variety and the spice of life when it comes to like the coloration. And the costumes and just the interaction and of all the uh, just the interaction of all the cast and crew. I love it because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's so you know it's it's just it's fun. It's Voyager is now that I'm rewatching it. It is a very easy show to watch, and you know not every episode needs to be epic, amazing story with a giant blue space alien or something. And this is this is That's, a perfect example. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. Um, and I, I like I like Voyager a lot for this reason. I like this episode for this reason. I love time travel. I love the concept of temporal loops and things of that nature. And um, you know, the premise of this episode, for those who don't remember, is Voyager uh, goes to this planet that looks like it's basically had an atomic war of some kind. Um, they beam down to the planet to check out some stuff and see what's going on. And it turns out there's like these almost like time fissures like icebergs floating around invisible around them and it sends uh, a couple people back in time and uh turns out that uh, spoiler alert for for uh, 1995 but uh it turns out that janeway caused the explosion that decimated the population um in the past and so it's this cool temp- temporal loop that kind of kicks off a major theme for Voyager, which is time travel. They play with time travel more than any of the other series do. Um, and at least to date, of course. 
And this kind of kicks that off. You know, she is a character who claims to hate time travel, but that's kind of the joke because they are constantly <laughs> screwing around with time <laughs> on Voyager. Um, so I love causality. I love the concept of something from the future causing the past to happen to change the future and, you know, that type of stuff. Back to the future kind of loops. I, I love it. Well, and it's fun, though, because it's a time travel story, but it's kind of limited in scope and scale. Versus a lot of the time travel stories we've done have been, you know, you get Time Zero, which impacts the future of the Federation, and you get the Borg going back in time, which impacts the future of the Federation and all this stuff, and Time Zero even impacts the life of Data. This this doesn't, you know, this isn't the time travel, well, okay, we don't think it is, but it's it's not shown to be like a time travel episode where, like, the Federation is at risk. Mm-hmm, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a limited scope, it's a limited story, so they can have a little bit more flexibility with it without worrying about... Like with the first contact, which I love. It's a one of the, it's one of the best Star Trek movies. It's usually that and Wrath of Khan are constantly rated among the best. But even people today, like twenty years later, are like, well, first contact has some continuity issues and the Borg doing this and Starfleet <laughs> That's the problem when you have an epic time travel story. When you have a limited one, you can do you can have a lot of fun and you're not you can just do fun stuff and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, kind of related to this, maybe a little tangential is, uh, so I, you're doing your Voyager rewatch. I'm doing my Deep Space Nine rewatch and I'm in season two. I'm in the middle of episode 10, which is Sanctuary, uh, which is a really interesting episode. So I like that we're both kind of rewatching uh, different shows at the same time, almost at the same pace. So, <laughs> Well, again, it's maybe it's because I'm older. You know, it's been, what, 10? How long has Voyager been off the air? Seven years? 2001. So it was when oh. Voyager went off the air. It was 2001. <laughs> so 18 so, years. You know. So, I mean, while. when I think about it like that, it's, I'm older. I'm 18 years older. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm more mature. I can hit, the stories make a little bit more sense to me. It's, it's, I don't know why I remember disliking the show as a kid. I know what people are going to be out there. Oh, it's because it, Janeway. I'm like, no, it had nothing to do with Janeway. I actually always understood her as a captain almost more than... I understand Janeway's character and appreciate her more than maybe the other captains, because I get it. Her ship is stuck in the middle of nowhere. She's got to do anything she can to get them home. Mm-hmm. I get that as a leader. If I, That's what I would want my leader to do, so I completely understand that. I think I just... I don't know. Maybe I was just bitter because I love Deep Space Nine so much, and it was so not Deep Space Nine. And I'm not, well, too, I'm not too ashamed to admit that. A lot of people call Voyager TNG light, um, and there's some validity to that type of summary if you're really just trying to sh- a short pitch of the show to somebody, because it was episodic in nature like TNG, and it focused a little bit more on the science-y techno babble, and DS9 was different. DS9 was more serialized, it focused more on heavier issues and gray areas, you know, Picard and Janeway... And Janeway, of course, had to do uh, you know more sketchy things in Picard because he's on the flagship back home and she's trying to save her crew. But they still were painted in much more positive lights when they did have to do something. Whereas you know Cisco has to do some questionable things during the war to uh, you know to keep things going in the Federation's way. And there's tonally very different shows, so I can see it being pretty jarring going back and forth between the two. For me, Voyager was the first one I could watch as it aired at an age where I could really comprehend what was happening. And well, I think that's I, why 
Yeah, and I think one thing I remember the loving about Voyager the first time is the episode with the Equinox, that little Nova-class science ship that also got pulled back. Spoiler alert! Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> there's another other ships. Ship. Yeah, there's other ships in the Delta Quadrant. And that's, I remember that episode distinctly reminding me, I'm like, this is when Janeway is very similar to Picard, when she is so offended at the actions of that ship. That is Picard almost to a nutshell. It's like the whole Wesley Crusher incident at Starfleet Academy. Picard wasn't upset about the accident. He was upset that Wesley lied. Mm -hmm. Picard's mature enough and understand and has been around enough. He's like, accidents happen. If you all just would have said you tried this maneuver and it didn't work. That's bad, but whatever. What makes it worse is that you lied. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the Janeway I remember growing up was the captain of the Equinox was doing some pretty horrible stuff. You know, <laughs> looting other ships and stealing technology and all this stuff. And Janeway's like, you know, I've had to compromise my morals on these missions, but I've never had to compromise the morals of the Federation. And I remember that. I'm like, that's Picard. That is, that is what a good captain. So anyways, yeah. But I'm, yeah. my rewatch of Voyager is going well, and I love it, and I can't... After this podcast, I'm going to keep watching. Well, good, good. I, once Discovery is not you know, on the air, I'm sure we can, we can circle back to the other shows and take a little break from the disco era. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's it for our Memory Alpha random article of the week. Um, before we take a quick break and come back to talk about this week's disco episode, I do want to announce some changes to our Patreon. So Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Um, there are other shows in the network, all nerdy stuff. And we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash heroes podcasts, plural. And it helps us pay for equipment, like the microphones we're using, the headsets, um, getting, uh, you know, marketing material, business cards and flyers, paying for the website, the domains, the hosting, all that kind of stuff. And so we've completely revamped our Patreon. We've got two brand new tiers that have brand new perks. And one of them uh, includes first listens to this show starting next week. So what that means is if you are on this tier, it's our second tier, uh, you will be able to listen to our show, Red Shirts and Runabouts, and our sister show, Screen Heroes, a full day, at least a full day earlier than everybody else who gets the published episodes. So earlier than Spotify and Apple and all that kind of stuff. Um, it also gets you a discount to our Tee Public store where you can get cool t-shirts and, and swag with our our branding on it if that's your thing. But I uh, just wanted to call that out real quick. Or ramble for a couple minutes. I don't know. but <laughs> it's, it's, an important, it's an important ramble. You're doing good. Uh, but all right. So uh, other than that, we will be at Planet Comic Con the last weekend of the month here. If you're in the KC area, the Kansas City area, uh, please come and see us. Our panel is on Saturday. We'll be creating the ultimate Star Trek crew in person. You could meet Greg or myself or both of us at the same time. <laughs> um, whatever works for you if you can join us for that. Otherwise, we will take a short break and then let's talk about our episode. Hey, why play video games when you could watch people play video games? Why watch people play video games when you could listen to people talk about video games? Come rest your eyes and hands with the Gamer Heroes podcast. We'll cover the latest news in games, previews, reviews, and more coming your way every Wednesday morning. Come check us out as part of the Heroes Podcast Network at heroespodcasts.com or find us on Spotify, iTunes, Spreaker, or, you know, other podcast places. Give us a listen to help you get through your busy day or even just forget you left it playing in your headphones. We're cool with that too. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, appreciate the promo. Hopefully, everybody does check us out at Planet Comic Con. And, you know, like Derek was said, you have a chance to meet with us, talk to us. If you won't, just, you can't miss us. We're obviously going to be in the panel. I'm deciding which Star Trek uniform to wear. You know, it's hard to pass up my Monster Maroon, but we'll, it's I don't know. It's so I, nice. I it, love I, it. I do love it. I got to take in the pants a little bit, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to be talking the Ultimate Star Trek crew. It's a perfect time to stop by and see a whole bunch of great comics and other stuff. And they just announced Jennifer Morrison is going to be at Planet Comic Con. For those of you who don't know, she was on House, but she was also the mother of Captain Kirk in 2009. Absolutely. So you better believe Derek and I will be the two people there going, hey, sign this photo, not <laughs> that photo. Yeah, she will be there, and William Shatner will also be there. I believe yeah, those are he the was only late, two. Yeah. Star Trek actors this time around. But. Yeah, he was a late addition. Yeah. But anyways, Project Daedalus, which yes. uh, for the for uh, Back to Discovery, um, you know, we always kind of give our viewpoints early on about the episode. Uh, again, this is another disco episode where I think a pattern we've seen this year is they don't waste any time. Like there's no, there's no really a buildup. I mean, there's a little bit of a buildup with Arium and such, but overall the episode just jumps right into it. Mm-hmm. Again, Disco is making the most efficient use of, whatever, 52 minutes, right? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's definitely no dawdling in this show, um, I think, is something we can probably all agree on. There's always something going on. They've got a lot of different plot lines. And this episode, which is episode 9 of season 2, uh, sh- shows a lot of these timelines kind of coalescing. Um, you know, we've got Spock on board Discovery now. Uh, Admiral uh, Cornwell shows up. Which I thought was really interesting. She's great. I was a little surprised to to see that she'd be joining Discovery at this particular point, but good to have her back. Um, but yeah, so we are tasked with going to Section Thirty One's headquarters. Um, is the big thing here, and it's an ex prison that they've converted uh, into <laughs> their base, which has control, which is some intense AI computer system that all of Starfleet looks to for guidance. Um, and we're going to with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get to my feelings on that. But as Greg said, yeah, this, this episode really focuses on Arium, uh, who is uh, played by Hannah Chessman this season. Um, which uh, there was a different actor for last season. And we talked a little bit about that earlier in uh, an earlier episode, but um, yeah, I mean, look, she's a cool character. I'm really glad we finally got to learn more about her. I'm super bummed about that. I guess spoiler alerts is probably uh, something we should be throwing out here, but Greg, how did you feel about the, 
the kind of the the way they put Ariam front and center in this episode, given how how it ends. Did you think? I guess I'm leading the witness here a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, no, I, I get what you mean because they finally did an Ariam focused episode. People have been clamoring for this for almost two years now, and I they essentially dropped the final information that she's not an android and she's not a human. She's a uh, cybernetic robotic humanoid augment. And the episode basically opens up with that because she's going through her old memories and, you know, she's looking at imagery of herself and a boyfriend, fiance, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Her significant other and they're on the beach and she's obviously a female human (laughs) in that memory. I mean, there's no question. Mm -hmm. So at one point she was 100% human and now she's not. And, you know, they allude to like an accident and such, which, again, I, I don't know... And we don't know enough of the background right now to understand what the limits on genetic engineering and cybernetic engineering are. We don't see a lot of... Okay, so there's obviously cybernetic implants in Star Trek. We've always known that. But Arium is obviously a step further. She mm-hmm. is not... This is not Greg lost an eye, so he gets a cybernetic eye. Or Derek had his leg shot off in combat, like like Nog, so he gets a cybernetic leg. This is... A fully cybernetic life form that is obviously augmented. Yeah, um, it is interesting because it, it poses some complicated questions that I I don't want to get too bogged down in because I'm sure the real answer is just that this is now made in twenty. This was made in twenty eighteen for a twenty nineteen audience versus being made in the sixties, right? Like when we see Pike in the menagerie and he's in that you know um uh mechanized wheelchair and he can only beep right you know there's been some talk on social media about you know well why didn't he get a similar treatment to arium especially being a flagship officer of the federation and you know we can kind of explain it away by simply knowing we don't really know the extent of either of their injuries um you know Ariam does we do learn that she was in a shuttle crash we don't really know to what extent she was damaged how much of her is cybernetic we know you know we, we can see her hands and we can see her face and her head um we know that she has to offload her memory so her brain was probably damaged i'm assuming um you know but again we don't really know the extent so i don't want to get bogged down in that in that too much i think my big problem is something that you've already said greg which is that She's been sitting around now for a season and a half, more than a season and a half. She's always looked super cool, very interesting, and they glossed over her most of the time. And when we finally get to learn about her, not necessarily like what is she and how did she become that, but just who is she? Who is she now? Who are her friends? What does she like to do? What is her life like? You know, you remember like Data's Day kind of concept. What does she do on a regular day? We don't get any of that until now. And they have to kill her off in this in the same episode. It, first off, feels kind of forced. Like now you're you're pushing us to feel something for someone that you've gone out of your way basically to ignore. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And it's and the whole reason I brought up the whole genetic engineering thing was Starfleet's always kind of had this thing with since Khan about creating like super people. Mm-hmm. Well, in this episode, she is obviously far superior. To every human. Or, like, there's not even... I would argue almost maybe more dangerous than the genetic augments. Because she is also 
yeah, the genetic augments were physically stronger and more intelligent and such. She's like data level strong, which, you know, I don't want to, we're not spoiling too much. Obviously, there's a fight scene. I mean, you can kind of see that in the, in the preview. I mean, she punches Burnham at one point. Burnham, like, is literally flying in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, again, it brings up that question because start, maybe the genetic laws have changed. I mean, I don't know. But we're, okay, for those of you listening to the podcast, we're Star Trek fans. So these little minor things <laughs> are stuff that, that we think about. Well, I think about. But, well, it's a big thread in DS9, though, because of Bashir. It's a huge you know, threat. Yeah, we we find out that Bashir is an augment. You know, spoiler alert for for DS Nine, but um, and he that's been hidden, and he feels like he has to hide it. You know, because it's supposed to be outlawed, and you know, maybe Saru is stronger because we learn in season one how strong Saru can be when he is feeling threatened and things like that, and he's a very powerful character. But you're right. I mean, Arium is clearly. It, very fast, very strong, very intelligent, um, and w- would be considered a huge threat. I mean, that would be why they didn't try and beam her back to Discovery at any point, because she could take out a lot of the crew, I would imagine, pretty quickly. Um, she kind of even said that. <laughs> is, right. You know, I'm going to kill the entire crew. I mean, she... And again, sorry for the spoilers, everybody, but this episode moves so fast... It, I mean, the 52 minutes feels like almost 15 because so much stuff is happening at the same time. Um, but it's it's very yeah. quick. Um, so, I mean, we get the payoff from the weird symbols that we see in Arium's eyes, uh, you know, from the uh, the future pod thing. Um, we, we get that payoff very quickly. The episode really focuses around Section 31's home base. And this is a very odd thing to me. Um, so... So first off, it's a, it's an ex-prison that's been abandoned for a century, but it's not our prison. They won't tell they didn't tell us whose it is. Uh, it just wasn't built by us, and the mines are there, which were also not built by us. Um, you mean the, you know, the so, Do you ever see the movie Battleship? No. <laughs> don't don't okay don't unless unless you and Ray are having like hey we're gonna have margaritas and watch bad movies then watch it. But in the movie Battleship, which was an awful movie, and if any of you watch it, you have to. Don't watch it. But <laughs> the the mines in Star Trek Discovery are the exact same weapons from the movie Battleship. These little spinning razor blade things that are trying to cut into the hull, which, again, it, don't, don't get me wrong, it looks cool on screen, but then your brain's like, wait a second. this tech, The technical purpose of this mine seems, seems a little unnecessary versus just exploding. Yeah, I'm... It's 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 kind of weird. Um, I guess maybe the argument is that they can be reused, right? Because they don't get destroyed on impact, and they don't destroy other ones either. In the explosion, I guess might be an argument. Um, but the whole the whole concept is very odd to me. That Section Thirty One's headquarters is in this place that we didn't actually construct. Uh, but then on top of that, and this is kind of where it jumps the shark for me is is control. So, you know. Certain things I'll explain away in a prequel like this because it's 2019, it's not 1966. So yeah, the tech looks better. They've got more advanced things like holograms. We're not like, okay, fine. You know, they've got the cool, you know, 3D Star Wars holograms to talk to each other and the screens are see-through and touch screens and and all that kind of stuff. Fine. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. I get it. Um, But 
Control is a massively important, significant piece of technology that the admirals themselves and the, the, the leaders of Starfleet get strategic information from and then act upon as if it's, you know, like this mother box of knowledge. And that is something that, I mean, unless I'm forgetting something, has never been mentioned ever. No, it's never been mentioned, but do you know what else actually dry I'm okay. Derek knows I'm the nitpicker, I admit. Every well, all of you know I'm the nitpicker. I'm that guy. You know what drives me the most crazy is they've been acting like this thing has been around for a long time and they get their strategic advice and all that. They were just losing a war to the Klingons. So either control doesn't work or it's so hopelessly stupid that the advice we should take from it is not advice we should ever take. We didn't win the war with the Klingons because of control. We won because basically Burnham and company were crazy and had a great plan. So, I mean, at the, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I've, I've slept since then, but at the end of the season one, we were losing the war badly. Like The right? war was rough. I mean, the, the war definitely took a big toll. And Discovery's spore drive was a very significant factor in winning that war. And... um be, you know, that's what it was like being able to jump into Kronos uh, was was really what what saved the war and you know control being able to handle that or not I mean it's just a it's a weird concept that doesn't seem to fit in line with anything Starfleet does like a mastermind computer it just it, I don't know that doesn't really work for me um, well, and I guess takes- Maybe no, the argument is that like we never see it again because it's dismantled after it was taken over, like this. Um, I mean, you maybe, know, but, but I'm with you because it, it kind of takes away from the humanity of what the oh, or the uh, not humanity, but the the alienity of what the Federation is. The Federation is supposed to be a conglomerate of brains and intelligence and cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the idea that the Federation's senior strategic brain or support system is an AI takes away from that. And I even love the image when the admirals are talking to Pike and you have a Vulcan, an Andorian, a Tellarite, and a human admiral all talking. And for those of you who aren't familiar, those are the four founding species of the Federation. Mm -hmm. Those are the first four species to interact with each other and kind of coalesce around the humans because it was the humans that stopped the Andorians and Vulcans from hating each other so much. It's what stopped the, or encouraged the Tellarites to join. That was cool. It's showing the union of species. And then, like, I'm, I'm with you. It's just, so they get guidance from, you know, Skynet. I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it feels like a lazy, a cheesy example of a video game logic. Well, so mu- it definitely felt like a video game. That's a really good point. Um, so much of it just didn't really seem to connect, though. So, Arium is supposed to go there because of this virus that's in her head. But the virus came from the future probe that was lost in the anomaly that attacked the shuttle that Tyler and Pike were on. That's what infiltrated her and gave her this virus. So how did Control do that? Control somehow got a hold of the probe in the future to embed this virus and and, and knowing that it would go back in time to Arium? I'm stumped, but I know <laughs> because I agree with like, you, I just don't have a good answer. Right. So like, it just, it seemed like these two things, the section 31 control and Arium and the virus, there's, there's no connecting those 
dots. They don't seem to go together because the because con- controls created holograms now of Spock killing people. Supposedly, is it, that was created by control. Control then creates holograms of at least one of the admirals. Um, I guess it could have been all of those admirals that we saw in the hologram the previous episode. We don't really know. They're supposed to have been dead for two weeks. So I guess those were all holograms too. So control, I I guess, you know, it wanted to be more self-aware. It wanted to be its own thing, right? It was evolving beyond capacity of of that station. And I, I understand that logic. That's something Star Trek has done before. I just feel like the Arium subplot is totally unnecessarily connected. And on top of that, we then lose this character who I was very curious about and very interested in. And what we do learn about her is super cool. It's super interesting and unique. It's different than what we've had before. She's not data. She's not the EMH doctor, right? She is her own thing. She's, she's not a Vulcan either. She's human with human emotions, but she has these, uh, she's has these cybernetic augmentations. I would love to have learned more about that. And we don't get to now because of this control thing and the future probe. Well, I'm going to steal your language from about 10 minutes ago. If they would have pulled a Data's Day with Arium and had like an Arium's Day, I think in between like the last episode and this episode, you have a middle one that's just about Arium and her life and her day. I think this episode would have more impact. Because you take a character that everybody has been saying, that's cool. We want to know more about her. We want to, we like her voice. That's kind of got that robotic human voice. That's really neat. And she seems cool and smart. And she's got these red eyes. And okay, we're going to expose her more. And oh, by the way, she's just an evil murder bot now. And I mean, that, that's the problem is the moment that happens, you your brain, even if you don't realize it, your brain immediately goes to three things. Either... She kills Burnham, Burnham convinces her not to be evil, or Burnham kills her. I mean, your brain goes to those three stories the moment you realize she's evil. And that's just that's why I said it's like a video game. It's like Mass Effect. Like Mass Effect 3, you have three endings, and one's green, one's red, one's blue, but they're all the same. And <laughs> it's... No, I'm never going to let that go. I don't care if it's been 10 years or whatever. But it's... It's just, I don't know. And I, I mean, maybe... Maybe I'm not seeing something in five episodes from now. I'm going to think back to Project Daedalus and go, hey, wait a second. Because I'm that guy who admits when I heard Project Daedalus, I know everybody thought the Starship Daedalus, which was a Daedalus class ship. It's, you know, the Star Trek Next Generation did something, did a story about the Horizon, which was a Daedalus class ship. I was actually thinking also of the British space mission in the 70s called Project Daedalus about launching an unmanned probe filled with robots. And... That's a real thing. You can go Google Project Daedalus and you will find out about the British space probe. Never happened, obviously. But they're talking about a probe filled with robots. And here you are. You have control filled with the robot. Even though this episode has nothing to do with Project Daedalus. They pulled a fast one on us. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with my rant. No, no, you're good. You're good. So, I mean, now there are some good things about this episode. I certainly don't want to write off the whole thing. It's not a disaster in my opinion, um, there's some cool moments. I uh, I like what we get with Ariam and the rest of the crew, especially uh, with Kayla. You know when um, you know Tilly makes the comment about her being half robot, and Ariam comes back with the cybernetically augmented, and uh, K- Kayla's like three cheers for cybernetics because you know she's got some <laughs> yeah. cybernetic implants from 
you know, the war from the, the uh, battle of the binary stars. Um, and I just, I thought that was a cool, very, very, uh, you know, casual moment that felt very real. Um, so that was really neat. The conversations between Spock and Burnham, I thought were really good. The chess scene, for example, was very interesting. Um, the two of them, the back and forth is really compelling. I want to see, you know, more of that. And I like that Spock calls her out on something that some fans have even kind of complained a bit about where like everything's always about Burnham and it's because she makes it that way. That's a conscious decision that she makes. And that's, that's why I haven't complained about it. It's a character thing. That's who she is. She takes, she takes ownership of everything she possibly can for, for better or for worse, whether she should or shouldn't. And Spock calls her out on that. And I thought that was super cool. Um, now, it's a little cheapened at the end of this episode because the decision of her not killing Arium or killing Arium by opening the airlock again is all about her making that decision. Um, and it only ends up not being about her because Nan turns out not to be dead and saves the day. Um yeah, I want to see... Okay, so... <laughs> the the chess scene was great. Burnham and Spock play chess. And Spock... The whole... The chess match is actually a good... Um, what's it called? Like a duality of people. Because while they're playing chess, they're also mentally playing chess against each other with their commentary. Mm-hmm. Burnham says something, Spock retorts. Spock says something, Burnham retorts. And at the end, you know, Spock flips the chess table. And everybody thinks he's being mad. I actually think it was Spock just proving a point. Like, I don't think he was mad or whatever. He's just, whatever. He's like, he's symbolizing he's done with that conversation. And he was. He left afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I do I do like how you mentioned that he's calling her out because the only times we've really had, you know, this is my complaint about Next Generation that you've heard, was when characters are too perfect, it kind of gets annoying because it feels too unreal. And I think the developers are realizing that with Burnham is she's perfect about almost everything. She doesn't make right. mistakes. She doesn't. Not usually. No, she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't usually make mistakes. And now you got Spock calling her out on stuff, and you're like, man, I kind of, a, kind of agree with Spock when he's like, yeah, you thought the Vulcan extremists were mad about you. They weren't mad about you. They know you're a human. They're mad about me because I'm not a full Vulcan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 100% right. A Vulcan extremist has no reason to be mad about a human learning about Vulcan logic. They have problems with a Vulcan that's half human also learning how to be a human. And Spock is, you know, 100% accurate on that. I have, at least I think, okay, 99% accurate because there's going to be that one person out there that's like, wait a second, Greg. So nothing's 100%. Well, I mean, Enterprise touches on the logic extremists a little bit too, and they weren't super fond of humans, but I think Spock's still right. Um, I think that's a that's a big piece of it. Um, the, the chess scene is really interesting. I, I like that a lot. I think you're right. I think it, that was to, to mirror with the conversation that they were having. Well, um, and something else you said, though, about, you know, when Ariam is downloading her memories and thinking about herself, one of the things I loved was they touch on that beach scene multiple times with her and her significant other, which, again, something I've commented on, you know, this is episode 64. I've probably commented on 50 episodes. I love the human emotional touch that they add in in Star Trek because mm-hmm. that's something that you and Ray would have. You have a favorite memory together or Eric and I. Do. You know what I mean? We That's what people have is they have a, a favorite memory of some kind that they always, always go back to. 
it's that's a that's a human. You might have multiple favorites, but there's always that one, right? There's always that one where you always think about. And I love that because it's it shows that yeah, she's an augment, but she's a human on the inside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and that's why I think you know most of her part of the story was was good. Um, you know, there's. There's a few other things you know, I mentioned. You know, Nan, of course, does not get killed off, and I'm very glad about that for multiple reasons. First off, she's a cool character. Uh, she wears a unique uniform, which is something fun for them to show off. And you know, she's the first of her species we've ever seen in Starfleet. Because if you remember in TNG, they're not part of the Federation officially. Um, and to top that off, she's the head of security. There have been three of those at this point. Two of them have been women of color and the first one died. So the kill off the second one, I feel like would have been kind of crappy. Um, and so I'm glad they didn't kill her off for all of those reasons. But um, you, you, know, could one, say, one... you could say chief of security is like being the dark arts professor at Hogwarts. <laughs> nothing, nothing good ever happens to them on this ship. It's always something. It's oh, always, something. I mean, hell, she did have half of her facial implant ripped out, which man, she recovered from, the, I mean, she didn't like recover perfectly, but man, that would suck. Especially oh, if you yeah. can't <laughs> aside from the pain, you also can't breathe. And you know, the, the third person is Ash Tyler, who of course has been, th- been through a couple of rough patches uh, during the show. <laughs> just, just one or two. I mean, I, <laughs> a couple bad things happened to him last season, but we, we, we've already talked about that. Um, but one thing I thought was very interesting was Pike and Cornwall. Because Pike, of course, still is shouldering this burden of feeling left out of the war. Like, he and his crew did not contribute to Starfleet, did not contribute to the Federation, did not sacrifice like their fellow officers did. And Cornwell uh, is always good at commanding a room every time she's on screen. And the two of them have this little back and forth where he's still not thrilled with leadership in starfleet he doesn't like that they're following section 31 he doesn't like that section 31 even exists at all and um you know there's the quote and I, i'm reading this one verbatim off of memory alpha because i just i don't want to get it wrong but um you know he he she, she says you sat out the war because if we'd lost to the klingons we wanted the best of starfleet to survive and as this conversation makes clear that was you and all you represent and that's a big freaking sentence from our lead admiral. Uh, you that, know. that is a... Because there's already more of a... Let's see if I can blur this out. There's already more of an intimate relationship between Cornwell and Pike. And I'm not talking intimate on sexual. You know, Cornwell and Lorca was intimate because physical attractiveness... doesn't matter, whatever. Physical attractiveness. And she liked his arrogance and confidence and whatever. It doesn't matter. But with her and Pike, it's all that mature level of intimacy where she believes that he makes... Because I know what she means. I think this is my interpretation of what she's saying by that is it's not just because what Pike represents. It's because what Pike brings out in the crew around him. He makes others. And that's the sign of a good leader is others want to do well or they do better because of you. And I think I think we've seen that in this season. I mean, hell, people were talking about Anson now. Keep, him, keep Captain Pike. I mean, everybody loves him. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think they could have done this character any more justice, any better justice after everything. Because you're right, he he is kind of the moral compass of Starfleet, right? He 
he reminds me a lot of Picard. He really does. Um, maybe more emotional, maybe a little warmer than Picard, especially early on. Um, but he is what he is what Starfleet is is supposed to represent. What the Federation is supposed to represent: exploration, peace, diplomacy, cooperation. And the crew responds to that big time. Like when you know when he tells them that you know they're they're breaking orders. You know, the response is like, we should really be going, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. Which, I mean, look, some of our other captains have, have gotten before, you know, saddle up and lock and load, uh, you know, or to hell with our orders. Um, it's, you are you, know, you are not wrong. <laughs> uh, so it's not new to, to our main captains, but it is telling because he's only been captain of this ship for a few months at this point. This isn't years you know, like we had in, you know, the TOS movies or even in the TNG movies, these people have known each other for a decade and longer. Um, they've only known each other for a few months and that's the type of respect that he brings to the team. And that line sums it up. Yeah. And it gives, it's a good reminder of the drumhead episode with Picard when that, that one quarter Romulan Starfleet crew is put on right. trial for supposedly being a traitor when he wasn't. But there's even the line when, you know, Worf is talking to Picard and he's like, you know, the the Federation has enemies. They must be found. And you can see Picard's like even Patrick Stewart is taken aback even. And he's like, yeah, that's that's how it begins. It begins with, you know, a single accusation. And that's very like Pike where Pike's like, okay, I get control and I get Section 31. But once you start down that path. It's a path that the Federation was not founded on. It's a path that the Federation doesn't believe in. And it's something that you and I have talked about on this podcast in the past multiple times is something unique about Star Trek in general. All the Star Trek shows is it's a positive imagination of the future for humanity. Because there's not a lot of shows about that. I mean, yeah, you got the Orville and you got like Futurama, right? But even Futurama's got all this stuff in the middle where horrible stuff happens to the Earth. Star Trek is that one where it's like humans will constantly strive to be better than themselves. We'll move beyond poverty, move beyond disease, move beyond war, move beyond money. And Pike kind of represents that where he's like, we don't need Section 31. We're, you know, this, we're following something that he doesn't say it, but he alludes to it. The sec control doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have emotions. It doesn't have any, you know, thoughts aside from danger will robinson i am a robot i can't win a war against the klingons but you should still trust me anyways and no i'm never gonna let that go (laughs) that's that's my stance is control lost the war to the klingons and saru and burnham won the war against the klingons that's my position no i i think you're right i i think that um it's important it's an important message that star trek has tried to provide over the years and this time it's it's being maybe a little more direct with it which is fine because we're at an age where maybe we need to hear it again a little bit louder (laughs) in the back um why whatever do you uh, mean yeah um but but that's 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 a that's a different podcast (laughs) it is is. but pike you know i always tell myself that uh you know janeway is the captain i'd want to serve under picard is the captain i'd want to grow up to be but pike is making some waves for me and he's definitely creating a that that makes that question more complicated because he seems both like the kind of captain I'd want to work for and the kind of person I would want to be um, all kind of in one. And uh, I'm not sure you could really ask for anything else from a, a character who's going to be around for one season 
who is based on a character that we got one real episode out of uh that wasn't even an officially real episode you know because it was a failed pilot that got chopped up into another episode this is big and anson mount's doing an incredible job the writers are doing an incredible job and he is probably for me the best part of this season of discovery oh without a doubt anson mount is the best part and probably my second favorite part is when they let michael burnham be a human Mm -hmm. And she drops the Falcon facade and you let her be almost like her character from The Walking Dead, Sonequa Martin-Green. You let her act like that. I think she does better on screen. It's just my opinion. But no, Anson Mount does. He captures even his interaction with Tyler a couple episodes ago was such a human interaction where Pike's like, I have no reason to trust you. That's that's like a that's like a per you know what I mean? That's like a perfectly human interaction. Where he's still acting like a captain. He's not insulting him. He's not banishing him to the brig at that point. He's saying, I have no reason to trust you right now because of A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. But then they grow, they learn, they develop, they get closer. I mean, that's, you know, I preach that all the time. I love the human, the, the interaction of the human character. I love that about what Star Trek does. It's, it's why one of my favorite relationships in Star Trek is Picard and Guinan. Because oh, yeah. they're foibles for each other. They challenge each other and make each other better. It's it's Data and LaForge, where Data's using LaForge all the time to learn about humanity. And you kind of get that with Pike. He does this with Burnham. He challenges Saru. He encourages his junior staff. I just, I'm going to miss Anson Mountain season three. Unless we get Star Trek Pike. <laughs> the Pike Chronicles. The Pike. Oh, there we go. The yeah. Pike Chronicles, a six episode series. Enterprise, the early years, something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm with you. Um, not a whole lot else in this episode. There's little little notes here and there. Uh, some people notice that there's a frozen apple floating around at uh, Section 31 HQ, which could harken back to Georgiou and the apple that she eats earlier in the season. Um, we don't see a body of hers or anything. I'm assuming she's okay. <laughs> I, I think she's fine. Um but uh yeah i mean there's there's not a whole lot else here the the death of arium is, is sad it's a bummer especially they kind of have the the terminator 2 death scene kind of at the end as she slowly shuts down and um you know that's it's sad and it's disappointing that we're not going to see any more of her um well and then, no okay perfect this is dude i love you because this is the perfect segue to why the first 50 minutes of this episode i loved and then it was like the last three minutes that I just absolutely just drove me crazy was they made it clear early on that she was downloading some of her memories to the ship, right? Mm -hmm. She was downloading some keep, save, 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 delete, save, delete, whatever. And she's like, oh, I have to do this every week. I swear on, I don't, I'm not religious, but on any religion out there, if they pull a B4 <laughs> and they're like, oh, we downloaded all of Arium's image or memories and we compiled them together and now she's back. If they do that, like they did with Culber, I'm going to be like, all right, you... So, essentially, death is meaningless on this show if they do that, because... Well, so, here's the here's the concern here. They already said that she downloaded her whole memory to store all the information that Control wanted. So, we already know that every memory she has is in the Disco, the Discovery's banks, data banks. 
The issue now that we have is what kind of body would that go in? Can they, you know, turn her back on or something? And to your point, as cool as her character is, as bummed I am that they killed her off, they killed her off. Don't bring her back. This is a conversation I've been having with people a lot recently about how the way the show has handled death with notable characters has been disappointing to me on an emotional level. And I'm not going to get into all of that right now. It's, it's a bigger conversation, but you need sometimes if you're going to kill somebody off, they have to stay dead. And that's disappointing that it has to be this character, but follow through. Yeah. I mean, remember I kind of compared this episode to a video game earlier. It's in mass effect one. Yeah. There's a mission where you have to pick between two of your characters to go, you know, defend a nuke. And you're like, oh, I just defend the mission. And then you realize, oh, my God, that character's going to die. And you've just spent, like, 12 hours getting to know that character. And you're like, this sucks. Why can't I have an option to save both? But the character dies, and they stay dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are dead. They are dead, dead, dead. They are Tasha Yar dead. Where Tasha Yar doesn't come back, Denise Crosby comes back. But it ain't no Tasha Yar coming back going, oh, yeah, the Romulans killed me. But, man, it's a good thing the Vulcans found me or something. And yeah, I mean, if Arium's dead, let her be dead, so her death is meaningful, but what drove me, what worries me about the episode was, okay, I, I know I'm not the only person making this comment. There's plenty of us saying it. They beam over to control. They're doing their stuff. You know, Arium goes crazy, starts a fight, rips out uh, Nons, one of her, her left uh, breathing apparatus, so she's only at half lung capacity, which... I know people are like, ah, oh, she only ripped off one. I'm like, look, you try breathing at 50% of your lung capacity and see how well you're doing. Uh, you know, people can't even go to the to the Andes Mountains without passing out. So, <laughs> the Arium goes crazy and Burnham's finding her. A, they don't beam Arium back into, like, a security room. And B, they don't beam over, like, 18 security guards with phaser rifles. I mean, they just... I... I <sighs> I know it sounds like I'm nitpicking, but I'm not. It's, you know, if no, one of your... Op- it's a it, problem. I mean, it's just... And, you know, I, well, I, I was trying to rewatch it to see if they, I heard something like, oh, Control put up a dampening field, but they obviously didn't. It's just... I know they were trying to build up drama, but at the same time... I mean, hell, they could have positioned a shuttlecraft outside the airlock to capture her with force fields or something, just so... Hey, next episode is we got to figure out what this virus is that's impacting Arium. I mean, that'd be cool, yeah. but maybe... No, maybe... you're right. I mean, they, they could have teleported, transported her somewhere into the brig. They could have transported her into another shuttle that was on lockdown, or, um, you know, they could have... Done, I mean, there, there's things they could have done. Uh, it, it certainly felt weird, because they beamed over just fine. Communication was just fine. There was never any disruptions there. And, um, you know, it, it just it felt like they were just... We're going to do an Arium episode where she dies. That was the pitch, and that's what we got. And, um, you know, look, I don't know how the contracts work. Maybe she couldn't do more or something like that. They already had to replace the actor one time for this character, and uh, maybe they just didn't want to continue that for whatever reason. I don't know. But uh, it certainly felt a little forced at the end, and I guess we have to wait and see if it actually sticks. I think it will. I'd be pretty shocked if it didn't. But It better stick. But, okay, so you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> remember, you remember Star Trek Insurrection? Of course. How at the end, the, they're fighting on the, what the hell's it called? The regulator, doesn't matter. The, 
I the collector. Be, the collector, yeah. They're, they're fighting on the collector, and for some reason the collector has a self-destruct function, <laughs> which, anyways, why does every it have a self-destruct function? Every ship in Star Trek has a self-destruct <laughs> every ship has a self-destruct function. <laughs> but you remember how they, at the end, they beam up Picard, but they don't yes. beam up Ruafo, even right. though the Enterprise has no idea what's going on between the two? It's like, what if what if Picard had just talked Ruafo down, and they were having, like, a milkshake? And and they beam over Picard, and then the thing blows up and still kills Rolfo. And Picard's like, "Oh, why didn't you beam him up?" It's it's like the Enterprise has no it's like the Enterprise has no idea what's going on. And I've heard other people make that argument. In this episode, it's the opposite. (laughs) The Discovery knows exactly what's going on with all three other personnel on board. They know exactly where they are. They know exactly what condition they're in. Their helmets have cameras on them. So when uh, Arium is picking up Burnham. You get that cool scene where their cameras are looking at each other. Mm-hmm. They know that Nan had her. I almost said proboscis. She's not a bug. She had her, you know, breathing implant ripped off. Which again, I love that character for her ability to get back up. Because if I go five minutes without my inhaler, I'm already like crying. So God bless you, Commander Nan. But <laughs> this is the opposite. Discovery knows exactly what's going on and takes no action. And that just seems. Kind of like we were alluding to. It seems... It's so video gamey. It's... I don't know. And I'm sure there's somebody listening going, Wait a second. In episode 19 on season 4 of Deep Space Nine, you know, when Kira ate this fruit, this happened. I'm like, I get it. Stuff happens. But, you know, there's so many other options they could have done. And maybe, like you said, maybe it was a contract issue. We don't know. Well, you've... you. I never noticed that about insurrection before, um, and that's messing with me a little bit because I'm a I'm a defender of insurrection for the most part. Uh, not the joystick that Riker gets in the middle of the bridge to steer the ship. Uh, I'm gonna play with Tie Fighter. Not not that. That's that's terrible. But I actually do really like that movie for a lot of reasons, and I've never noticed that bit before. And now it makes me feel like I need to go back and rewatch Insurrection to see if there's some way that they would know that. But, man, that's an interesting point. That's a, but you're right about this episode of Disco being the complete opposite. I mean, it's so opposite that they pan around to all of our major characters so we can see how sad they are that, that they all know Arium has to be shot into space. And... Um, they do kind of all come to terms with that being the decision really quickly, <laughs> which is weird. I don't know. I mean, I guess we're, we're getting close to the hour mark here. Maybe, maybe we should close up. Um, the episode is just kind of overall disappointing as much as I really like Arium and think that Hannah Chessman did a fantastic job. And I'm sorry that we will not get to see more of her. You know, I'm going to say it. I was actually hoping that she was going to fall in love with like another human and that human was going to reciprocate. I was actually legitimately hoping that the big romance, because every one of the shows does a romance of some kind, whether it's, you know, Riker, Troy or Riker or Troy war for, you know, Dax. Tom and Bellana. Yeah. Tom and Bellana. Every show does one. Right. And yeah, we had a fling with Tyler and, you know, and, uh, you know, excuse me, Ty Volk and Burnham, but that was like a fling, whatever. This would have been, cool if they would have kept Arium on board maybe and again if they bring her back fine but it would have been fun to see her develop as a character where she has a romance with i don't care who tilly whatever doesn't matter 
But it would have been fun. It would have been unique for them to do that because they've never really explored that unless you count the one episode where Data dates, you know, that one human female and it doesn't go well at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's, they could have done so much more. And it's okay to say you're sad that she's not on the show. I think I think that's fine to say. Yeah. So, okay, so we'll talk about, we did a poll, of course, our, epi- our weekly episode polls. If you follow us at Red Shirts Pod, you can uh, vote in these polls. We do them every uh, Friday morning-ish, and they run for three days until we record, usually on Monday nights. And you can vote for how well you think the episode uh, should be graded. So, Greg, how would you grade this episode? I'm going to get some hate for this, but I'm going to give it a C-. minus. C-, minus. okay, yeah. okay. Um, for me, you know, I, I'm having a hard time with this one because, um, there are, like I said, there are things that I really do like about it. The Arium storyline in general, I like, uh, so I'm more of a B minus, I think in this one, um, maybe C plus, I'm a, I'm a little borderline there just because it has some good moments, you know, like we mentioned between Arium or Spock and Burnham or, or Pike and Cornwell. Um, there's a few things there that I think push it into that B category for me. But uh, in our poll, we have 78% gave it an A, with 15% giving it a B, which is pretty big. 5% gave it a C, and then 2% gave it a D or lower, because Twitter only gives us uh, two choices. So, you know, it's not uh, the most beloved episode, but it's definitely not the least either. Um, It's kind of a mixture. People seem to pretty well like it, though, um, as far as the season is concerned. I think I think if you combine A and B, it might actually have received the highest percentage, which, you know, I'm good with that. I love that fans love the show and love episodes. I'm sure there's episodes of Star Trek that I love that people are like, oh, my God, it's like I'm probably the one person in the world that. okay, not one, but I think yesterday's Enterprise is better than best of both worlds. And just, I think it is. It's not because I don't like best of the both worlds, <laughs> but it's just, everybody has their own opinions. And that's what makes us human, which is what my favorite thing about Star Trek is when people get to act like real people. Right. Uh, there were actually, so New Eden actually is the highest rated episode for us this season because 100% gave it a B or higher. Damn. So. That's, yeah, that's never happened for any of the discovery episodes. The uh, the those were split more sixty one percent A thirty nine percent B but everybody gave it an A or a B which is pretty big so um, next week's episode is episode ten of season two it is actually called the Red Angel which I assume means we get to finally learn about the Red Angel <laughs> so I thought everybody's already decided that it's Michael Burnham I'm still not sold that's too easy for me that's way too lazy. Yeah, and future guy is Captain Archer. <laughs> that was that was a big. I, I do like the one rumor on the internet that the the Red Angel is to Paul from Enterprise. Oh jeez. <laughs> so next, you know, and next week it'll be Kess from Voyager is the Red Angel because because <laughs> she goes back in time on Star Trek Voyager. It's actually Tom Paris right before he turns into a lizard. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, after he gets his warp ten sight. Um. It, it's actually Tasha Yar after the lava monster kills her. It turns her into the Red Angel, and <laughs> she's like, uh, she's like the guy from Outer Outer um, Quantum Leap. I almost said Outer Limits from Quantum Leap. She's got ten missions to fulfill, and you know she only fulfills eight, so she stays dead. <laughs> sad, very sad. <laughs> you know what? Forget it. 
I'm calling it. The Red Angel is Locutus. <laughs> it's just Picard, or is it him nope, as a it's, Borg Jones? It's, it's him as Locutus. <laughs> God. <laughs> all right. All right. Interesting. Interesting. But no, okay. All right. Here's, here's my hot take. Here's my hot take. You ready? The Red Angel is Prime Lorca. Oh, Prime Lorca. Because think about it this way. They've built it up to be somebody that we would know. We don't really know what happened to Prime Lorca. And enough time has elapsed where they could write in basically anybody. And people really loved Isaacs. And um, we want to see. A lot of us want to see Prime Lorca. I think this is a good opportunity to throw him in there. You know, that might be the best realistic theory I've ever heard that's not completely insane. Thank you. <laughs> so I think I don't buy it's not Q. It's not the Voyager or the excuse me, the wormhole aliens. It's not I think Burnham is too lazy, even in 21st century where they do TV shows do a lot of lazy things. I don't think they're that lazy to just reuse Burn Burnham Burnham is the star of the show and she's the hero or heroine of the, I'm like, no, that's that's too lazy. So you know what, dude? I'm going to give you that. Prime Lorca. The only... Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> unless they do something... It's Will Wheaton. I'm like, what? It's Wesley, it's Wesley Crush. It's the Traveler? Well, I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> that's actually an interesting thought, because he would have the ability, but he wouldn't need a suit. No, he wouldn't need a suit, unless he's just like, this suit's badass looking, and I'm going to wear it. <laughs> Right, he's read one too many comic books and just wants to look the part. Unless they say something like, oh, traveling through that much kind of time. Maybe his level of time time travel comes with like radiation poisoning. And I, I've been reading online that there's people saying that when Spock says he mind-melded with the Red Angel, he says he mind-melded with her. I gotta go back and rewatch that because I don't remember him saying that he thought the Red Angel was a female. I thought he said he mind-melded with it. I don't remember um, that either. Some yeah. people are guessing it's a woman because the figure that, that Saru sees, um, the silhouette looks somewhat feminine. I, I don't know that it's really fair to say that with the suit and everything. Um, but some people have have that opinion. So, Look, I, I've seen my wife in a sports bra and, <laughs> you know, it, that, it, judging of somebody by their figure, you know what I mean? Judging somebody's figure from an outline image, it doesn't work. Because it squishes all the features. And maybe this armor does the exact same thing as like a body. Have you ever been scuba diving? <laughs> no, no, actually, I have not. I, nothing is comfortable when you're in a real scuba suit. You don't like... <laughs> I, you're not like, I'm ultra sexy. It's like, no, you are you are squished. Because that's the point mm. of the scuba suit. Maybe the armor is doing the same thing. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't buy that either. But, I, I'm dude, I'm digging your prime Lorca. I'm, <laughs> I think because they can tie J Jason Isaacs in. I mean, because it's creative. I mean, you could bring him back for season three as the real captain of Discovery. That would be a very interesting story, I think. He's like, oh my god, my time with the Red Angel was horrible. I'm glad I'm glad they turned, like, the first three episodes of him going through therapy. <laughs> but yeah, so, everybody, don't judge the Red Angel by how it looks. That's human nature, to judge a book by its cover. But like I said, Derek has seen me in clone trooper armor. It's it true. doesn't mean I'm a clone. It means it's I'm hot. in... Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it means I'm in armor, though, right? No, I meant temperature-wise. It must it, be very warm. Temperature, in the armor. it is very warm. It's hard to go. To, it's hard to go to the bathroom when you're dressed as Commander Cody for ten hours. So, <laughs> I'm saying that to be real. It's if the Red Angel is a suit of armor of some kind, you can't judge a figure. Look at the Starfleet uniforms they were just wearing in this episode. They yeah. weren't. I mean, I guess you could say 
because all three of the way team were female, they were kind of feminine, but it's because you know they're women. Right. So it doesn't yeah, count. It's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. anyways. We're gonna we gotta wrap up the episode because we'll just keep talking about random Star Trek factoids. But this is Derek and Greg from Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're part of the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us online. Uh, we're getting popular enough. You can just Google search us at Red Shirts and Runabouts or Heroes Podcast Network. You can also find us on Twitter at Heroes Podcast Network and at Red Shirts and Run or Red Shirts Pod. Excuse me, Derek, my friend. If people wanted to talk to you directly, which I notice more and more people are, how can they find you? You can find me at the Star Trek Dude on Twitter. I also have a Facebook, but Twitter is kind of the main place there for that. Um, one thing I want to ask everybody, if you're out there and you're listening, drop us some reviews out there, especially on iTunes. Uh, that's really big. We're also on Spotify now and Spreaker. So uh, get the word out. Get people to, to find the show. We uh, would appreciate it. Absolutely. And you can find me at the B underscore Bittersteel. Uh, I'm getting a few more people interacting now and then, mostly to say that my opinions and theories are wrong, which is cool, but they've been doing it in a very polite manner. That's fine. <laughs> I don't. Most of my stuff is probably wrong, but, you know, it's I got to be that guy. Derek and I can't have the same opinions every episode. That'd be no fun. That'd be you boring, want, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to hear the same two people going, I love DS9. I love DS9 too, Greg. I love Quark. I love Quark. You don't, you don't want that. You want, you want a variety of opinions. And uh, But no. So this has been episode 64 of Red Shirts and Runabouts. Like Derek mentioned earlier, we will be at Planet Comic Con the last weekend of, I almost said September, no, the last weekend of March <laughs> in Kansas City at Bartle Hall, the big convention center in Kansas City. Come check us out for our live podcast where we discuss the best live Star Trek or the best Star Trek crew live. Otherwise, track us down on uh, your, pod, your favorite podcast or on Twitter. And we will be back next week for episode 65 and another random memory article or memory alpha article. We will talk to you then. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash heroes podcasts, and we also have a coffee, ko-fi.com slash heroes podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper.